0: All right, welcome everyone back to dissecting popular IT nerds. Today we have Doug Barry on the show. We're, we're completely winging this. He might have some construction going on in the background. Hopefully, you'll probably hear my kids running around, uh, going crazy. And are super lucky, uh, we might get zoom bombed and record this whole thing, and then we can fear monger everyone with uh, why why Zoom is so insecure lately. But you know, with that, uh, welcome to the show, Doug and. I guess you know. My first question for you is: You have a really, really cool LinkedIn background with a bunch of, I'm assuming, electrical bikes that that people rent and maybe put their their credit card into. Tell me all about that.
1: Um, yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, very excited to be here. Um, and uh, it's funny that you uh, you mentioned that. Actually, that's uh, probably one of the most um, most fun projects I've ever worked on. Uh, don't know if um, if you've seen a lot of the rentable bike sharing schemes that are popping up in, in big cities all over the place but that started about 12 years ago or so in um, 12 14 years ago in in Paris and uh, Montreal had one But um, basically the concept was if you provide a cheap mode of transportation uh, to people um, that is healthy uh, uh-huh. gets uh, gets cars off the road and um, you know and and helps people uh, get some exercise in and so A couple of cities had done it, uh, mixed results, uh, and London decided that they wanted to uh, take a stab at this, and it became one of um, uh, London's, uh, the London mayor's uh, two flagship programs. Uh, uh, One was a uh, cycle superhighway, it was called, which was basically some uh, dedicated bike lanes uh, from Uh, the the cardinal points outside the city into the center of London. And then the other was basically the, uh, the bike sharing scheme. Um, That mayor uh, actually ended up, uh, you know, as you know, uh, being the prime minister now, uh, Boris Johnson, Uh he, um, he reached out uh, to a number of companies and and said, Hey, how would you, how would you do something like this in a way that uh, makes it cost effective, um, uh, sustainable uh, and Uh uh, no, and, 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 Basically, make all this stuff happen, and so um, I, I kind of got uh, uh, the opportunity to uh, work on the integration strategy for something like this. You know, what would the plan look like? Mm. All pieces together to, to pull something like that off, and uh, that won us the contract. Um, and then uh, ended up uh, getting to actually lead the implementation of it. So, uh, if you go to London and you see these yeah. little bikes all over the place, uh, that was me. That's awesome. Actually, I've, you know. So I lived down
0: in uh, Northern Virginia for a long time, so probably not too far from you. And uh, I lived in in Percival for like almost four or five years. And last time I went down to DC, everyone's riding electric scooters around and and there's bikes and everything. So I was just looking at it, like how often do those, how often do those just get stolen or someone try to break into it? Or is it even impossible? And how often do they break down? And does one go like a a blip off the map, off to like, you know, I'm, I'm assuming they have some kind of GPS or wireless. I mean, how does it work? I'm just, oh, yeah. and this is probably completely way off, off subject, but I'm sure there's plenty of people that want to know how this stuff works.
1: Oh yeah, no, 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 uh, absolutely. And, and the technology has certainly improved. I, uh, we did the London cycle, uh, project in, um, 2009, 2010. So it's been over a decade ago. And, um, now you can see these bird scooters and, and all these other different, you know, rentable, uh, electric, um, personal vehicles all over the place. And uh, the technology certainly gotten more sophisticated. But at the time when we did this, um, it was basically your, um, rental of the bike was tied to a credit card that you had to insert. Um, yep. and uh, basically you get billed accordingly once the bike was returned. And if you didn't return it, there'd be you know some kind of a penalty charge. But the funny thing was, uh, Phil, that the earlier schemes, especially the one in Paris, um, it became kind of a, a fad to actually take one of the Paris bikes to some iconic landmark someplace else in the world and take a picture of it. So they <laughs> pictures of the bikes in, in at the pyramids and <laughs> all these different places. But so, so what, one of the things we wanted to do was come up with a way to actually do this where uh, you know, the, the scheme wouldn't get ripped off because people thought it'd be funny to take a bike and, and you know, leave it someplace hundreds of miles away. Yeah. Uh, so
0: do we have any, statist- <laughs> any statistics on any of that? Um, on on, on, the, on the, the theft of them? Uh, nothing that, that I know of off the top of my Obviously, head. Obviously, it wouldn't be that bad. It can't be. It, I think in general, people are like, if you trust them. It, in, in general, if you trust people and you put something out there, they think there's no way I can get away with this. Or they're just you know, trustworthy in general. And,
1: and I don't a, know. I, I, I think it, with a lot of people, it becomes an intellectual challenge. Like how, would I, how would I actually do that?
0: Right. Yeah. Well, I'm
1: actually, I was thinking about it. I was looking at it. I was
0: like, wait a second, that, that's going to be hard to break into. It's probably like an ATM machine. Then once you do, there's probably these alarms that go off that knows once someone's broken through the, you know, <laughs> like thinking of all these things, like how did they engineer this so that it was, um, you know, there was a return on investment in actual, that this, you know, project became self-sustainable or profitable or whatever it was for whatever the reason, because obviously it was, you know, in London, it was part of, you know, like a public service type of thing. So it was probably like, I don't know if they wanted to break even or pay for something in public or, you know, create, like you said, better for health, health and wellness, which is awesome. Didn't think about that. I don't know how, I don't know how healthy scooters are, maybe more dangerous because they're always crossing traffic and everything.
1: Well, and people leave them all over the place. I can't yeah, I tell you what statistic I love to see is how many people have broken a bone tripping over one of those things, uh, especially around here where I live in Arlington. But uh, um, no, I mean, what, you know, one of the things that we, um, that we did when we built the scheme was actually a, um, a network operation center that actually tracked um, the whereabouts of bicycles or um, you know, the, the, the bikes that were actually currently in use. And so we had visibility into all of that. And you, you couldn't take the bike out of the rack. Uh, until it had read and verified a credit card, um, and so had um, uh, you know had that kind of uh, information and security around the uh, um, you know the prospect of theft of the bike. So um, yeah, no, I mean it was a uh, it was great. The integration challenge was um, was amazing on that project. We had uh, you know we had aspects of. Um, Uh, Of construction because we 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 built permanent sites all around the city. We had Uh aspects of software development. We had uh, payment card industry uh, um, standards that we had to uh, to meet. We had supply chain because the bikes were manufactured elsewhere and and shipping. You know and and I mean it was just it was massive and uh, we pulled this whole thing off in about fourteen months. Nice, um, uh, you know, on time and uh, and under budget. So 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 this is actually a really good example of. Uh, I I mean, IT
0: leadership and or trusting IT leadership. And it's a good example. And, you know, whether it be Boris Johnson or however it is from top down, it's, it's a good example of someone from the very top realizing that there, there's a vision for something. And the only way that we're going to make that vision come to fruition is if we bring in the right nerds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know um, what I mean? And quite frankly, honestly, you know, it's the opposite of a cost center type mentality, which a lot of people are battling all the time. They're they're constantly fighting for dollars, fighting for IT to get a seat at the table, fighting for, you know, technology to not have to, uh, you kind of beg for, beg for scraps from the table, from the CFO. I mean, this is a great example of where technology was the winner and really the, the leadership were asking technology, Hey, can you make this happen? Is it possible? And then it was all, you know, pretty much throw it in your hand. How do you manage the budget of a project like that? I mean, how did you, like where do you even start?
1: Well, gosh. Uh, so we had a, um, uh, we had a program plan um, of over 14,000 lines of, uh, uh, of manageable uh, trackable Specific uh, work items that had to be performed, um, and we had people basically accountable for each of those, and um, accountable not just for their completion uh, on time, but also for the dollars that uh, that one were estimated um, for each of them, and also uh, were then subsequently spent. Um, you know, I, I had the great, uh, I guess, luxury of uh, of being uh, what they termed over there as the technical authority, so I did not have to manage money, which was great. Uh, we did come in under budget, um, but it certainly wasn't uh, as a result of my my you know fiscal stewardship as much as my um, uh, my involvement in making sure that um, that uh, dependencies across different components of the program um, you know never became uh, uh, roadblocks or stumbling blocks for. Uh, gotcha. So.
0: Well, let's take it into let's take it into where we sit right now. So you're in Arlington, Well, you're in I guess I guess Vienna. Give me a kind of like a, like what's the general overview of your role right now? What's the environment like right now? And how do you manage uh, maybe, what are the dynamics between cost center versus moving the company forward? Is What's the environment like where you're at right now with, you know, business shutdown and,
1: and all kinds of things going on around? Sure, um, great question. So, you know, one of the things that that, that I personally am seeing at, at my company, um, uh, at Accelerate Solutions, is that uh, this whole pandemic has uh, has been a bit of a forcing function for a number of things. Um, you know, everybody has, uh, um, has has virtualized, or not everybody, but you know, the, the, the vast majority of companies are, are, are going virtual, are putting things in the cloud, are trying to not um, uh, be uh, responsible for for their own infrastructure, um, and the common uh, you know the common reason or, or one of the many reasons that that, that people will throw out there is well oh, we want to be able to work from anywhere well, the reality is that uh this pandemic has actually forced people to prove that they 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 really can mm-hmm. and uh you know i spent a or I, at least you know in the last uh, last month or so, I've spent quite a bit of time you know making sure shoring up those little pockets of uh, uh, uh i don't want to call it um uh, little little items of the the uh, where there was um uh, uh and, maybe and, weird you know, little hybrid things where there's yeah. it's, you know, it's it's everything from making sure that um that uh, the consultants that we have that support the federal government have the yeah. equipment that they need to be able to actually work remotely from home, uh, yeah. making sure that uh, in doing that that, uh, that that we're secure we're not introducing any um, security risks. Yeah, um,
0: that actually brings up a really great point. How how much um. I bet you there's a lot of shadow IT that has appeared, that has become very apparent throughout this um,
1: pandemic. Mm-hmm. I, I, absolutely. I mean, I I, I think the biggest um, uh, observation, or the, the kind of like the the, uh, uh, the, the 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 nicest byproduct of this whole thing that I've seen is that I think IT is actually looked more now as an essential ingredient, and business enabler. I mean, when you think about um, in our space and we, we do, we do, um, uh, technology consulting to the federal government. Uh, yep. a lot of our folks are, uh, on site at the government, um, on government equipment. Um, and so as a result, you know, the government's had to make some concessions to be able to, uh, allow people to work remotely. Um, are you saying ar- security, like security concessions? Um, architectural concessions and yeah, to some degree, some s- security concessions, um, okay. uh, but I'm, temporarily, I'm, I'm assuming yeah. temporarily, I mean, temporarily. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but for us as, as a company, um, you know, uh, what I'm seeing is that now uh, we're not a cost center. Uh, we're not, I, I don't think we're looked at it as a cost center. I think really what we're, we're looking at now is an essential um, uh, component to being able to continue to operate during a situation like this. This has been probably one of the best uh, tests of, uh, of coop plants um, that any business, you know, could, uh, you know, could, could undergo. And I think what's going to happen is and the smart companies would, uh, are going to look at this after it's over and we return to whatever normal looks like in the future. And I don't think it's gonna be what it was before the pandemic. Um, but I think that the smart businesses are going to look at, um, you know, what did we, what did we find? What worked? What didn't work? You know, what did we think we have um, or what did we think that we could do that we couldn't do? And, and why, why couldn't we do those things? Um, uh, you know, I, I look at this as a as a great learning opportunity. Um, you know, I jokingly told uh, uh, my little girls who are, are six and eight uh, uh-huh. that someday they're going to tell their grandkids about the great pandemic of 2020 where they looked at me <laughs> like they had three heads. <laughs> but I will tell you, I think that the smart uh, the, the the smart CEOs, the smart CIOs, and technology leaders are going to look at this and say Hmm, that would not have worked. Uh, had we not had X, Y, and Z or that didn't work. And as a result, we're going to do these three things, right? To, uh, mm. to better prepare ourselves for something like this if it ever would to happen again. Yeah,
0: there's so much there. What, I, I hear a lot of stories. I've got people emailing me on a daily basis. I have people calling me on the verge of mental breakdown. I have people telling me that, Everything is fine, business as usual, we were great, we were totally prepared. I have people that say, kind of in the middle, like you say, we're finding a few things here and there. The people that call me on the verge of almost breaking down, it's usually in a company that was severely impacted by this Mm -hmm. pandemic. So Mm -hmm. they had to lay off staff, they had a 40% reduction in force. Um, So IT director also loses a few staff members. And what ended up happening was because your IT department, and this is in numerous cases, uh, because your IT department is kind of like the hub for, hey, we need your, you know, your laptop screens cracked. Okay. Like, you know, drop it off at the IT department or, you know, send it to us and, you know, we'll send you a replacement. What's ending ending up happening is some of these IT guys, they're, uh, I mean, I even have someone with like, you know, uh, they, they might live in an apartment or they might live in a, a condo, right? Or even their house becomes the shipping hub for all equipment, mouse, keyboards, mm-hmm. laptops. Uh, I mean, everything. And they now have less staff. And you have people that never worked from home before uh, literally asking how to use, you know, st- you know, things that should be basic, like, you know, I guess, Mike. I, I wrote. Down, I down this little question before uh, before we got on, which is, uh, "What's your philosophy on old school learning, new school, i.e., soft phones for the elderly?" And I mean that with all due respect, <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. you know, that's ba- you know, these guys are like getting completely overwhelmed, yeah. uh, and they're. Taking a pay cut, they're still employed, and I've had numerous people say, "I think I'd I'd rather be unemployed right now. I would rather be one of the people laid off mm-hmm. than one of the people taking a pay cut and just being absolutely the whipping post for everything." Well, I'll tell you, I don't, know, I, I don't even know if that's a question. I'm just like, what do you think about that? What do you say it, to that
1: person? I, it, it, it resonates. It hits home with me because I, I I've done. You know, a great number of the things that you've uh, uh that you just mentioned with the exception of saying I'd rather be laid off right now because I, I you know for for me again I look at this as a great learning experience and a, and an opportunity for for us to improve how we as a business operate how we better prepare ourselves but I've had I've had equipment from Dell shipped directly to my place um I've taken phone calls from folks who forgot how to use RSA when they log in you know for two factor authentication those are real world issues and challenges that um that that this is presenting to it. Um, they're certainly not the only ones. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I completely get it. And the, you know, the thing is, uh, Phil, I, I, have got a great number of friends that work in, um, you know, in the restaurant business here, uh, or that, uh, that, that work in, you guys have the, you guys have the birthplace of five guys. Yeah, well, hey, exactly. <laughs> you know, near
0: and dear to my heart. Okay. Uh, but anyways, keep
1: going. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so many of them are out of work, and you know, it's a completely different kind of struggle. So, I, I mean, I look at, um, I look at this, and I, I, I consider myself, you know, as a, as an IT professional, truly fortunate because um, several things are happening. One, IT is being looked at as, hey, this is a way that we can continue to stay. In business, that we that we can continue to keep our doors open, um, you know. And two, it's 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 I don't want to say providing justification for some of the things that we've been fighting for for some time. But one of the things that uh, a concept that I actually spoke on, a, on another radio program uh, about once was um, the challenges that that CIOs in the federal space have. And it's not it's not just the federal CIOs, but it's a bit more stark there. And I can explain that. Yeah. But sure. Um, CIOs typically and CTOs typically um, have responsibilities that increase um, disproportionately with their degree or level of authority. So, what do I mean by that? Um, if if you think about um, some government departments, certain government government departments have been around for a couple hundred years. Um, you know, they've they've changed over time, sure, but there are established. Um, there are established roles within those government organizations, like the CFO. There's always been a person responsible for the money, the treasurer, whatever, the, you know, the the finance. Uh-huh. Yep. CIOs. I mean, that's that's a relatively, in, in, in the grand scheme of it, uh, a relatively new position, new role, new uh, new thing. And, and and so, I've over the last decade or so supported a number of of, of CIOs um, across federal government. Let me let me just ref- let me just summarize that
0: first. responsibilities increase disproportionately with level of authority. And I'm just, I'm asking, are you saying that um, maybe job summaries are not accurate? Uh, People are asking uh, or making unrealistic um, requests to make the new space program happen inside the business, for example, metaphorically speaking, is, is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I am mean, I'm not sure that it's necessarily that the that, that job descriptions are, are, are inaccurate or anything like that. But the, the reality is, is that um, everybody looks at IT and is like, Oh, that's the IT guy's responsibility. But the reality is, is that in order to be able to satisfy the IT requirement, it takes money, it takes an investment, it takes resources. And, it's not usually the, the technologist or the, the head of technology that has um, the, the the authority to pull the trigger on, you know, a, a, a $50 million investment. Uh, uh,
0: so alignment, alignment
1: is off. That's exactly right. So like, I, I think of one particular example, I supported the, um, the the CIO at NOAA for a number of years. And, and uh, NOAA is a very interesting organization uh, because they are the only... Uh, U.S. government organization besides NASA that puts rockets into space. And, and a lot of people don't know that. But the NOAA mission actually goes from the bottom of the ocean into outer space. So the the, 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 the research and development, uh, I'm sorry, the research, if you will, of, of like the, the seabed and and, and, and those things, um, all the way to the weather satellites that, um, that, that circle the globe. Sweet. Um, six different line organizations, vastly different missions, all of them um, you know, all of them with their own specific mission-related requirements, um, and then you have at the headquarters level a CIO that's responsible for making all that stuff happen. Well, a couple of things that, that that were challenging is that the CIO didn't control the budgets of these six line offices, um, couldn't enforce um, uh, standards, or or, or, or even uh, control procurement. Until, you know, until he got creative and said, you know what, I'm going to put a vehicle together, a contract vehicle together that's mandatory use for anything IT related. There, There's a mm. infrastructure IT. And that's what he had to do. Wow.
0: That's actually, it, that's actually pretty genius. Because it is genius. It forces, really yeah, it forces other people to do the ridiculous, uh, crazy work of like asking for money and everything. It forces them to make all the arguments and it takes that responsibility off your plate. But exactly. not only that, it doesn't, that's so important because it's somebody else asking for the money. Exactly. Like we always used to, you know, I used to be very heavily like trained, like direct Salesforce guys. And like, I used to always tell people like, you know, when you say it, it's skeptical. When the customer says it, it's, it's real. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like if you say it, it's just like, like when the IT guy asked for the money, they're like, nah, I don't know. But when other people, when the end users are are kind of requesting it through that contract vehicle, like you said, I mean, they're probably not end users. You tell me it's whatever other entity right. that is proving the point that you need the money to give to you. And they're doing it for you. That's pretty powerful.
1: It is. And I, I mean, I think that's the, the same sort of thing is happening now with the pandemic, right? People are saying, I need this to be able to work remotely. Can we break that down? uh, Break that down real quick.
0: So, how was the contract vehicle? Or was it like an RFO? Was it like you need to do this? You need to do that. And so, here's just to summarize again, in case anyone's lost or hasn't kind of put two and two together, because I see this stuff every day, and I totally get what you're saying. So, you have alignment off between really what is being requested of IT. So IT, they're saying, yes, you know, we get it. We understand what you're asking for. And yes, we can do it. But guess what? We don't have the money, but we don't have the authority to get the money to spend the money. That's what I'm assuming. That's, I mean, that's my real first grade summary of that. No,
1: that, that, that's a good summary, Phil. That's that's actually
0: uh, okay. uh, spot on. And um, then, But then what the solution is, is basically is what you're going to lay out right now.
1: Right. So, uh, so what this particular CIO had to do was figure out a way to be able to influence the spend decisions um, in such a way that he could achieve those things for which he was responsible Um, security across uh, the enterprise. Um,
0: Okay. So let's hit that one because everyone's complaining about security. (laughs) No one has money for security until there's a breach and blah, 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 blah. So how would they, how would he do that? Like, let's just use that. Let's hit that one up first.
1: Well, so, so he he did that the same way that he, in, in, Ensured uh, standardization and, and insured business alignment. Um, he basically made that a component of what had to be submitted as a part of any request coming into the contract vehicle. So if somebody wanted to buy something, uh, say a, a computer system, they had to answer certain questions. One, was it budgeted, and where? If so, you know, was it was it budgeted? Um, was there something? Um, uh, was there? Uh, uh, let me. Take this. Okay, um, budgeted. Did it, did it, did it, did it, was it budgeted? Um, did it? We oh, can make no.
0: them up. I don't care. We can make these up right now.
1: It's was it budgeted? Was it in alignment with um, the enterprise architecture that um, the the CIO had uh, uh, had developed and had promulgated out to the line offices? Because in the past, before they had to go through this vehicle, the CIO's office, you know, gotcha. the figurehead, was just saying, "Hey, we want to do this," but everybody else would just say, "Yeah, that you know." Well, I get yeah, it now. I mean, so so
0: this, this, so again, man, this is hitting even more. So it's really is it in alignment with our pro- policies and procedures handbook, yep. kind of, including security, uh, it yeah.
1: security.
0: Yep. But also, oh, and, and in alignment with security, mm-hmm. but also it's preventing all those stupid decisions that get made without IT involved.
1: Well, and, and, and even without uh, big picture involvement, because if you think about it, um, you know, why, why would one particular office go out to five other offices to say, hey, do you have an enterprise-wide license that I can actually hang on to and or, 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 or jump on board with um, so that we don't have to spend this money twice? Um, there was, um, you know, there, there, there was duplicative spend you know, all across the organization. So there was an awful lot of uh, opportunity to save. Uh, and I mean, as, as a taxpayer, uh, you know, I got a huge kick out of that every time something, you know, was identified that uh, somebody wanted to buy that we already had somewhere else in the organization that they could use um, without additional costs. So, I mean, there, there was that, but,
0: Explain that again, because that might, you know, we might go down the rabbit hole of how much money people actually do spend in DC and how I saw money being spent while I was there. I don't know if we want to open up
1: that door. It's a, it's a, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a, it's a big can of worms, but I mean, the, the point was basically just to, to, to have a way centrally to identify duplicative spend and avoid it, right? It's cost avoidance essentially. Um, That's great. It was a very very neat thing, but so I want to want to pull that back though, Phil, and and kind of tell you um a a little bit more about the um the concept of what I saw because that was just one example. But what I was seeing was that there were CIOs were doing things all over the place, having to be creative, crafty, um, Mm -hmm. and figure out ways to um get past the fact that they didn't have the authority. To uh, meet all of their responsibilities, all the things, uh, you know, the, all the roses that had been pinned on them. Yep. Yeah. Um, gotcha. So, I, you know, I, I think of another example: um, uh, a, a CIO that uh, you know over a, um, uh, let's just say, a, 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 a national organization located, uh, you know, all over the country. Um, but everybody, you know, each each particular area of the country doing things their way with their own money, and they were actually using money that. Um, wasn't wasn't really intended uh, to be used in that way to, to to create systems to field systems and then not having money to actually maintain those things anyway the long story short was this CIO said you know what here's what we're going to do we're going to do a roadshow we're going to go around the country um, and do IT security and resiliency audits um, which everyone's supposed to do anyway uh, on a regular basis and we're going to use that to uncover how many systems are out there in the field that weren't authorized by headquarters. Um, and so as to not do that in, 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 in a way that could be viewed as threatening, um, we will go ahead, we'll document those systems. And if it's something that we can't support because there's nothing um, headquarters approved already for that particular capability, we will write a business case justification to get money to actually support those systems. Great plan, right? It's basically going out there, doing some work for um, field organizations that, uh, that they were on the hook to do anyway, but weren't doing, um, presumably because they just didn't have the uh, the resources, um, but thereby also getting visibility into exactly what, what, what does the enterprise um, uh, technology uh, portfolio look like? Right. Um, another example of just, you know, going about, um, you know, uh, satisfying all the responsibilities in a way um, that got around the fact that they didn't have the authority to actually mandate things. Mm-hmm. So,
0: Let's put. I just need to kind of like connect the dots here. Sure. So alignments off. People know it need to make it happen. It doesn't have the authority to spend. Uh, so how do we influence the spend by putting together, basically make, making other people uh, argue argue their basically argue to it like what, you know I guess argue to it or and then you can you can send that to whoever to get it to get it approved. But how do we? I guess how do we how do we draw the line together? How do we how do we use this to provide more authority for IT or you know what I mean? Like how do we bring it all together?
1: Well, you know it's it's um, it's funny that it takes something like a pandemic um, for that to become uh, apparent. I think to 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 a lot of lot of folks. I think by and large, uh, it's it's always. it's not a problem until it's a problem, right? Uh, just like a breach, right? Well, we don't have to worry about that. It's not going to happen to us, you know, um, until something does happen. And then it's like, well, why didn't we, um, uh, you know, why, why didn't we secure, uh, you know, against that particular intrusion? Um, and it's because nobody wanted to spend the money. I, on one of your previous shows, um, you know, somebody had made a comparison of, uh, you know, what if what if it costs five bucks to secure a a particular virtual box, but it costs $15,000 to reconstitute each box <laughs> after there's been breached. Fantastic yeah. example, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, but, but you could, you could take that same, um, that same construct. And it's true of almost every aspect of it. It's like, you know, do we really need this? Not until you really need it. But the point is, is when you really need it, you're not going to have it in time without spending a lot more money. Um, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's doing things now is always going to be cheaper than doing things later when there's a crisis. Um, right. well,
0: here's the, here's the big one. Here's the other big one. And this is, I, I think it's true of anybody, but how does, how does an IT leader effectively manage their time and where they spend their time and how do we prevent a lot of the, the process and procedure can slow down exponential growth of an organization because at least in the government space, mm-hmm. and the only reason why I say that is because I'm like a big, not a fan. I'm a big, not a fan. <laughs> if that English makes sense. I'm a yeah. big, not a fan <laughs> of um, long RFP
1: process. Yeah.
0: And the reason, and I'm, and I'm not a fan due to, and I have friends that are, you know, Alaskan, tribally owned, women owned, aid, a uh, service disabled veteran status, middlemen government, you know, guys. Mm-hmm. And anyone that understands that at all will, will kind of understand what I'm talking about. And why, why do they exist? They exist purely to most of the time cut the eight month bid process down to say a couple of weeks or something and then right. allows, you know, and then there's other monetary pieces to that as well. But how do we stay ahead through all this red tape? And then how does an IT leader effectively manage their time? What are some of the best things that they can do to avoid maybe taking responsibility or doing things that they shouldn't be doing?
1: Oh, great question. Um, Let me, let me kind of take a step back uh, real quick. One of the things that, um, you know, that, that gets around the, the, uh, government sales cycle, which really is for some, uh, some of the bigger things, 18 to 24 months. That's, that's the time investment, um, required to actually, uh, pursue a specific opportunity within the government. If it's something and technology is
0: ridiculous. It's, it is
1: ridiculous. I absolutely agree. Um, I, I you know, I think there, there are several things that the government does to try to, um, speed that up. Certainly the set aside programs, um, you know, have shorter, uh, uh time timeframes in terms of, uh, of the actual contract action taking place, um, uh, IDIQs and GWACs and other contract vehicles, um, that are, are, are task order based or BPAs. Um, those also can have much shorter, um, turn times for individual tasks. Um, but again, you know, to actually put that contract vehicle in place, that takes time. So, um, you know, uh, there's, there's some, um, on the part of the government to actually put enough vehicles in place so that they have a vehicle they can use um, to quickly procure a specific, uh, a specific thing if they've got a, an urgent need. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, I, I, from the standpoint of um, IT leaders uh, and what we can do to kind of not get bogged down in these one of the things that I always um, uh, think about is what are all the actors in a particular problem, right? It's not, it's never just technology. Um, you know, Oftentimes, uh, you know, situation um, that looks like it uh, just requires a you know a new IT system. Um, uh, that's probably a bit of a um, a false assessment uh, because there are business processes, uh processes that need to adapt to accommodate new systems. There are people that need to be trained up or potentially hired. Um, there are all these different components, and I think that you know, as an IT leader, understanding that there are um, multiple disparate actors in any scenario yeah. um, is key. And I think if you, if you don't understand that, if you, if you look at things as purely an IT problem, you're probably never really going to solve the issue. And um, one of the industries
0: that suffers a lot from that is healthcare, I believe. Oh,
1: absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And, and it's just so obvious that a lot of times it's like, we got this old crap, we got to bring in a new thing, or we've got EMR, and, uh, okay, let's look at these three vendors and pick this one. And then the next thing you know, you've got a thousand nurses that uh, really just push the computer into the corner of the, of the <laughs> you know what I mean? There's so many, st- there's so many people that need to be taken, to, taken into consideration from an end user standpoint alone, uh, let alone just, you know, the right
1: solution. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, w- one of the things that I've been kind of kicking around, um, now as, uh, as, as, as some states start to lessen the restrictions, uh, and uh, you know, we return to um, some kind of normal. Um, is 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 how do businesses that that don't necessarily have an appreciation for um, the the multifaceted nature, right, of uh, of reconstituting operations? How are they going to survive? Um, and I had a conversation with a, uh, um, a good friend of mine who uh, runs a little. Um, Uh, innovation uh, uh, consultancy Uh uh, about what you would do or what you would need to do to actually um, help a company um, slowly start up operations again. Because think about it. We've been, um, you know, at home, sequestered, um, uh, away from our colleagues, away from our peers, um, trying to perform the same functions that uh, uh, from a process perspective, from a a, a, Uh a human interaction perspective, you know, we're not meeting all those things being at home. So how do you start that stuff up? How do you start? So give me an example. Well, so, um, you know, in a lot of organizations, it's culture that actually makes the organization successful, right? It's, it's, it's people knowing, Hey, I know that Sally is going to do X. So I'm going to do Y knowing that I can count on Sally to get this thing done. You know, those kinds of things, but Hmm. we've been apart for, for what, four, six weeks almost in some cases. Um, people aren't going to have that natural rhythm again. How, how do you, how do you help reinstill that kind of rhythm? How do you help them? Um, how do you help businesses? Uh, identify- like it's going to be weird.
0: In other words, people are like, this deep. is so sort of weird coming back. It's going to be words, weird. Everyone's like, huh? Like, what do we do? You know, in other words, like, what do we do? We're just going to go right back to normal again. I think well, people do bounce back though. Uh, yeah, It's kind of like coming back from a long vacation.
1: <laughs> I've never had a vacation
0: quite this long. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I left for, I took 30 days uh, in November and I was working while I was gone. I just wanted to see like, can I work while I'm traveling? And, and I was in Egypt and I was all over the world and I was in all these different places that were just, you know, a completely different culture, completely engulfed in different time zones. Just everything was just overwhelmingly different. And uh, when I got back, it probably took two weeks for a month to my, for my like OCD overworking personality to come back in. And I wished it hadn't because what I found out was and this is just me. My my particular situation is different for everybody else. It's obviously it's different for manufacturing organizations. It's different. You know, I, I can do a podcast with a Zoom and a, and a microphone anywhere. I can do uh you know technology consulting and, and quote fiber circuits uh, around the globe anywhere in the world. You know, I can help you. Uh, you know, ask a thousand questions on how do you want to use unify your communications. You know, I can do that. I can do that anywhere. Me personally, I found that. Uh, But what I found was that I had to be more efficient with my time traveling and doing all these things. And when I came back, what I realized is that I think my stress level steadily increased when I got back. Uh, Anxiety, whether it is anxiety or not, I don't know, whatever it is, this kind of constant paranoia, like the American paranoia, of I got to work, I got to work, I got to work, we got to work all the time, you know. You just, you know, you just got to work. And from an entrepreneurial standpoint, it's, it's, you know, 40 hours would never be enough.
1: Uh, it's funny because there, there are two parts, I mean, to, to what you say that, that, that I'm seeing, you know, certainly one, um, I, I've been busier now than I think I've been in, in, in quite some time. Um, <laughs> I'm sure, like
0: it, like the like many other people that their their apartment or house has become the hub and spoke for all it.
1: But go ahead. But, but it, the but the other thing is is that it, it's it's the culture changing. I think that people are realizing that wow, remote work is possible. We can continue to operate. Um, it totally is. Yeah, and, and and I I honestly think so. Uh, my CEO, great guy, uh, made a comment uh, to me. Um, eh, it's probably like a couple weeks into this, and he's like, you know. If I had known how well this was going to work, uh, you know, with, with folks being able to connect remotely and still do, um, you know, still support our clients, I might have reconsidered renewing our lease for our headquarters. Exactly,
0: exactly. Isn't now, if you don't have a, if you don't have manufacturing, you don't have that. Honestly, really, why do you need real estate in downtown Manhattan? Yeah, that's that is a lot. That's a pretty big bill to pay. It, it, and quite it, frankly, I don't think people care that your name's on the outside of the building that much
1: anymore. No, yeah, they, they they don't. You know, um, so so that's one example I think of, of like a, a a mental shift that's happening in business, especially around in, in business leadership um, as a result of this thing. But one of the other things that I'm seeing, um, and in you know, I, I'll, I'll give a shameless plug to to our company for doing this. Um, companies are making investments uh, in in people in, in times like this um, to make sure that. Not only can they work and, and continue to, to earn their their livelihood, um, but also can they continue to develop and grow professionally. So we we went out and we bought um, an unlimited loo- uh, use license uh, for every member of the company um, for an online learning service, LinkedIn Learning. Um, it's fantastic, you know. And I, I I'm I'm administering this thing for the company right now, and I, and and I go in there and I see all the people that have like signed up and activated their accounts and and the hours of. Uh, of training that folks are doing. It's yeah. fantastic what we can do with this extra time that we don't spend commuting. Oh my gosh. It's productive and, 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 and it's personally beneficial to them as well. Well, especially
0: in your area of the woods. My, my, my remote work started when I was living in the D.C. metro area. Mm-hmm. So I was managing, this is years ago, a direct sales force. So I probably had maybe 18 people. Um, uh, you know, it was selling, it was a Cisco startup, uh, you know, selling like dynamic, like some, like, you know, like, like a Cisco dynamic router to do voice and data stuff. And it, anyways, a while back, but the point is, is I was getting in, getting up at whatever five o'clock in the morning, driving down route seven to avoid the toll road, the dullest toll road or whatever the five fifty six bucks, whatever it was at time, both ways, you know, the tolls are ridiculous. Um, waiting in bumper to bumper traffic to get to the office for a little bit of water cooler talk to a standing meeting from a standing meeting to a sales meeting to eventually we got to work, I think around 10 o'clock. When we did get to work, it was different because it was a sales organization. So it was, all right, you know, it was different that everything was measured. But when I went to kind of outside channel sales and left the office and I could just get on the phone at seven 30 or eight o'clock and talk to, uh, MSPs and other IT directors prior to getting into their water cooler time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a massive increase in sales. It was literally four X what wow. the normal was. And that was easy and it was an easy four X. It wasn't like it was, you know what I mean? Yeah. And the level of the, the work life balance from that standpoint was very well. Can't be done everywhere. Can't be done. in, in you know, where we got guys manufacturing stuff in the plant and shipping and receiving and logistics and obviously healthcare stuff like that It can't be done everywhere. But every single business has people that are working in the office. that could be working from home.
1: Every business has that. And every single one of them yeah. incurs an overhead expense for them to be able to sit in that, in that office. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to ask you something that's going to be off topic, Phil. I, 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 sure. I was listening to you, you. You said you recently sold a boat. Yeah. What kind of boat?
0: Uh, I sold two boats. Actually, I just sold another boat prior to that. Um, I sold a 19 foot Grady White with a 150 horsepower Yamaha outboard.
1: Okay. Uh, I I spend an awful lot of time here, and I'm I'm sorry that I'm absolutely just like re steering the conversation, but it is one of my favorite things to talk about. I, uh, See, I not love it. Sailing on the Chesapeake. So. Um, for I me, grew up on the ocean, by the way. My dad's, a ca-
0: my dad's a retired urologist. He's also a captain and has a 42 foot TR that I grew up on. Nice. All of his boats, you know, being first made, taking people out fishing and stuff. So,
1: Well, if you find yourself back in, uh, uh, in the DC area and, and want to get out on the water in the Chesapeake, you have a, an open invitation. Let's do it. <laughs> is that it? Is that the end of
0: the questions? We're done with this conversation because this is a fun one.
1: Uh, well, no. I mean, I've, but wait. There's more. So you mentioned in one of your other um, uh, one of your other podcasts that you that uh, uh, you're a creative writing major. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Um, I was just interviewing a um, uh, a young man that uh, that we're gonna that we're bringing in this summer uh, to be an intern, an infrastructure uh-huh. intern, intern uh, working directly with me to help us uh, in our pursuit of um, CMMC. You're familiar with that? No, that? but go ahead. It's the cybersecurity um, maturity model certification that DOD is putting out. And basically, what that is, this is an interesting thing, um, what that is is uh, they're saying we now want an a, a independent party assessed um, rating of your stance uh, on cybersecurity, the protection of um uh, of, of, of industry secrets because we're tired of spending billions of dollars to, for example, develop, you know, uh, the, the next generation stealth fighter, only to have China come out with this thing two years later looking exactly the same. Um, so what DOD is doing is they, they've come up with this model uh, that, uh, called CMMC um, that has a couple hundred uh, individual items around um, uh, business process and technology infrastructure, um, uh, security. Um, and you need to be able to demonstrate how you satisfy those requirements, um, uh, to, to be rated at a, at a certain level. And then they're going to make those kinds of, um, uh, certifications, the level of certification, a requirement to be able to bid on particular work, especially work, um, that mm. okay. uh, to the national security. So, um interesting stuff so we're, I, I getting back you're to the, giving me ideas, but go ahead uh, No, it's very very uh very very interesting but um so this young man that uh, that I interviewed uh, is gonna come in and uh, be an intern for us this summer um we were chatting uh and, and and the call was um it was great it wasn't wasn't a particularly long call but it, it we quickly digressed from um uh you know from 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 i t to his interests and things of that nature and he started asking me questions about when I was in school, I'm like, oh, my God, that was like, you know, in the 80s. Um, but I said, you know, the most. Prior to cell phones. <laughs> it, 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 oh, your question, what was my first cell phone? Um, yes, that's somebody uh, recently as well. Do uh, you remember the suitcase phones, the Motorola suitcase phones?
0: Yeah, I mean, my dad had a bag phone. I remember when we had the bag phone in the car. And that's I used fine. to tell him, like, hey, take it out and put it in the golf cart. That'd be cool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, so we're talking about this stuff. And, and he said, what was the most useful class you took, because uh, I, I have a degree in computer science. And, and he said, what was the most useful class that you took? And I said, to be very honest with you, it was technical writing. Yeah. That class has, um, has served me better than any other individual class, uh, in undergrad or, 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 uh, um, uh, my grad work. So, um, Is that because you're like translator, you're like tech translator for people? Yes. And, and, and that's precisely why it's, it, it, it's it's given me the ability, uh, you know, to combine my love for, you know, creative depiction of of, of challenges and their solutions, and then communicating those to, to, to people who aren't necessarily as technical. Um, yeah, hey, I it, mean
0: it's yeah. and it's your ability to to provide empathy and understanding and the fact that you can put yourself
1: in another person's shoes uh, well, is needed so much. You have to in this business because I mean again we're we you know we're we're a federal. Um, little contractor and and every piece of business that we have we have to compete for and and we have to be able to communicate our approach in a way that is um more compelling than anybody else's um so it's a anyway. big problem for people that's a big that's a
0: big roadblock for a lot of uh people that are in it they it, it's almost it's like a it's almost like a psychological it's 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 almost like a psychological profile for a lot of people that they can't break out of because they might have a very engineering mindset. Um, they come off as jerks uh, because they look at other people as stupid for not knowing this stuff. And really it's not the other people. It's really their inability to kind of like step out of the box, emphasize and put yourself in other person's feet as, mm-hmm. as smart and technology centered as you are. Uh, and they might not even mean to do it. They might not even know that they're doing it, but they have no way of kind of, yeah, it's, you know, so it's, it was, it was an important class for you because it it helped you kind of like, you know, connect the dots for other people. Um, And I don't know if it was like, if it was more of a psychological thing for you or if it was, or if it was just a, you know, helped me connect better with people, but kind of this connect, discover, respond and then putting it down on paper is something that I think is a weakness for many people, not
1: even knowing it. But it, it, it's, it, I guess the way that I, w- I would summarize it, when you ask, uh, you know, somebody that's uh, you know, a technologist that's, that's billing on some contract, providing, you know, a very specific technical uh, service to a client um, to help out on a proposal effort, it is almost uh, without fail, you know, like somebody just sentenced them to 6 years hard labor really uh, oh yeah. you i did not know that Absolutely. why I, I, nobody wants to write and and uh, really especially technical folks there's like uh, and it's it's like it's like pulling teeth and so i could huh. count, i could probably count on on my, my my 10 fingers uh uh the number of really great technical writers that i've met in 30 plus huh. in the business so do you, wow yeah. You may have just
0: blown the top off this. So, do you think that that might be a reason why a lot of people have problems getting their getting money because they can't write a really good business technical business acumen report to deliver absolutely. to executives to be able to present and all the time spent presenting and putting that report together?
1: Phil, no, absolutely, and that's why you have <laughs> a whole you have a whole like group of companies and businesses out there that do nothing but strategic communications. Some do it better than others, but the point is their entire business is helping others communicate um, huh. the requirement in such a way that... that
0: See, I would think, my, and this is bad for me, bad assuming this, you know, seriously, shame on me. I would assume that most IT directors being the arrogant, self-centered people that they are. And that's complete stereotype, by the way. Um, <laughs> I do not mean that. would be like, oh, I can whip this report together. I don't need you to do that. I know ROI and, phone and numbers and blah, blah, blah. And I would assume that a lot of people would think that they could do that on their own.
1: Um, uh, yeah, they, they, they do. Um, but, but they don't want to do it. They don't want to do it, for one. It's an inconvenience <laughs> and, an, and an annoyance. You know, I'm yeah. not here to deliver the work. I'm not here to, to win the work. I'm here to, to, to make it happen, not to explain how.
0: Yeah, I had someone tell me the other day like wow, it's really impressive the amount of content you put out Phil and I was like
1: it absolutely it's is. just
0: it's just one email a day because I was forced I was uh, I take this course uh if anyone wants to know what the secret weapon is. I probably shouldn't even say this because you know if my competition hears this but um Ben Settle who's known as kind of like the the number one email writer in the world. He takes a very kind of he's like a comic book guy. Um, but he he's he, I took his course and he forced me to write an email a day. And when I thought of writing an email a day to my list of IT guys, I was like, there's no way. They are going to opt out of this immediately. They're going to spam filter me. I am going to get roasted like immediately. No one writes an email a day. And he's like, and I even encourage two emails a day. It's like, People are going to slaughter me. Anyways, but he said, but they won't do that. If you write it the right way and you actually do it in a way that's like fun and you're speaking to people and it's your actual, and it's actual personality and it's not just the next white paper, you know, hey, did you read my white paper on this? And I would like five minutes of your time to jump on your calendar so that we can talk about blah, 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 blah. That's what people hate. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you tell them, hey... Uh, I just sold my boat to this person. I mean, you know, whatever it is, for whatever crazy story it is, to this, you know, guy that showed up with a bunch of gold chains on and he said, can I pay you in Bitcoin? And uh, he came, he got off the boat. You know I mean? Like what, you know, some crazy story like that. Um, and he asked if he could trade, you know, I don't know, Russian data intelligence for my, in exchange for my boat, that, you know, people might read that.
1: <laughs> I would think, yeah. But, but no, I, it, you're absolutely right. I mean, here's the thing, it's, it's, um compelling, you know, there's got to be an, uh, um, an aspect of, um, entertaining, uh, in order for you to actually keep readers, uh, focused and, and, and looking uh, at what yes. is you want them to understand and, or the, the point that you want to get across. So I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I thought that, you know, with your background as a creative writing major, I, um, was like, I got to tell him about, you know, this, this young man asking me this question. And. Um, it took a so, while He'd actually. The, was,
0: yeah, so, what was this? What is the end? What was the end game for him? So, he was a creative writer. What, what are we doing with this guy?
1: Okay, so uh, uh, he is. Uh, he, he's getting a degree uh, in cybersecurity, um, uh, and we want to give him. He's uh, he's about to enter his junior year. Uh-huh. Um, we want to give him some real world work experience, um, Perfect. that, uh, is, is going to translate when he gets out. So he's going to have on his resume when we're done. Um, mm-hmm. he, uh, you know, has done a number of network scans on, um, uh, uh, you know, information technology consulting, uh, yeah. company. Um, he's going to have CMMC on his resume. And I, I got to tell you within, you know, he's going to graduate within, I guess, 24, 25 months. Mm-hmm. Um, in 24, 25 months, this thing will have been live for about a year, year and a half. That's um, he's going to be a very hot commodity at that point. And, you know, we're going to, our goal is, you know, with all of our interns um, is to keep them, to bring them on once they graduate. And, and certainly he will be no different. Well, I would encourage him to,
0: to write about that, to, to, to write about every aspect. I would encourage him to write something twice a week. Even if it's Yeah You know because By doing that He's going to become Uh by sharing information, by sharing the learnings and everything, not only is it going to make you guys look better, obviously, but it's going to make him look better. It's going to create him as a young, there's so security, so overblown right now. It's like everyone and their mother wants to be going to security. And how do you separate yourself? And that would be a huge opportunity for him to separate himself, to kind of share my journey as a security intern and
1: what we're doing and blah, 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 you know, something like that. And he's got a, he's got a, he's got a, um, uh, Uh, an assignment to do that actually through school uh, for the internship. But uh, Jaden, if you're listening, um, we've got high hopes for you. Well, you're going to
0: send this to him. You're going to send this to him obviously after this, but have him share that.
1: Yeah. Um, Have
0: him share, you know, the value of a, you know, security internship and share that story, but it's got to get on, you know, social media, however that gets on it. Definitely on LinkedIn at least. You know, you put that in the article session, article section, or something like that. It's interesting how well articles on LinkedIn get um, get pushed. I um, yeah. and that would be that. That would actually be pretty huge. I'm sure there's a way to leverage that. And then you guys are paying for their LinkedIn learning or something like that. You could probably leverage that even further. Hey, by the way, we want your guys. People don't know about the algorithm on LinkedIn, but there's actual live people sitting deciding what articles they can push or not. So there's live people on LinkedIn yeah like looking at the post streams and saying hey we could push this and they definitely push people that pay money to like do more mm-hmm. that's the reality but uh, it has been an absolute uh, pleasure having you on the show to summarize first of all cuz i have a lot of nice bullet points here from honestly electric bikes which was a, which was a great starting point but the i think really the, the big the big takeaway here is Alignment is off between between IT and the spend, right? And how is IT going to influence the spend? Um, is is just such a is is a huge piece. And by aligning that that influencing with really policies and procedures, in turn, and making making sure everyone's on the same kind of on the same plate, uh, all aligned with the vision is huge. And then uh, my favorite was, of course, technical writing. And people, not. <laughs> you know, uh, technology technology leaders not wanting to uh, necessarily te- technically write uh, is my favorite. So, thank you so much for being on the show. If you had one uh, message to uh, send out to everyone out there listening, you know, what would that
1: be? Stay in school, kids.
0: <laughs> my, mine would be the opposite. If I knew what I knew now, I would have I would have dropped out of school. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, Phil. Thank you so very much for having me on.